We at the Other Side of Hell podcast are not therapists, doctors, or counselors. We're just two guys who have been through hell and come out the other side. Please be aware, we may talk about drinking and drugging in detail. Anyone struggling with addiction may find this triggering. Our goal is to share our stories, explore our struggles, and connect with others through our experience. Remember, we are not alone. There is hope, and together we can get better. Hey everybody, what's up? I am Cameron. And I'm Willie. And you are now watching or listening to the other side of Hell Podcast. Hell Podcast. We're starting to answer. We're, we're starting to finish each other's sentences. Oh man, I love that. <laughs> That's how you know it's love. Yeah. That's how you know you've been in a relationship. It's good to it's good for, to see you. For a while. Yeah. Speaking of which. Yeah, like this two week this two week turnaround, it's mm. it, it's distancing. We mm-hmm. did it for a week for so long, man. You know? And now I just I miss you when you're not yeah. here. Yeah. I miss yeah. Jordan. Getting a lot done, though. I really missed Rylan. Rylan's here, you guys. It's been a sec. Rylan, say hi. Hello. There you go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you know, um, I I like to think that uh, that I, I cannot miss you when we're not together. Oh, yeah. But sometimes I just have no control over that. Yeah. <laughs> You know, Cameron, there's sometimes you you just got to give up what you think you can control and just let it roll, you know? Wow. What a yeah. concept. That was an idea that I could never grasp my mind around yeah. when I was out there using and drinking. We have a wonderful war story that we got a great topic from. We sure do. Matt uh, joined us to share his war story. He's a host of the Sober Friends podcast. Yeah, from Connecticut. And uh, he uh, shared his story, and it inspired the topic of the illusion of control. Having the illusion, being the illusion. What is the the illusion? The illusion of control, which some of us alcoholics, and I dare say non-alcoholics alike, suffer from. This idea that we are in control or there's things that we can control or if if we just get a little better control over something or someone or some situation then all will be utopia and things will be different yeah it'll be okay mm-hmm. if i could just control this out if that person would just behave correctly if that situation would just turn out this certain way yeah and, and a lot of times you know we we put pressure on that we just we build up a lot around it, right? Like yeah. this idea that we can control things that we can't control, or we we decide that um, to be angry about the fact that things aren't one way, yeah. Um, when in fact they're another way because we think we can control it, yeah. And when we're wrong, we get angry, yeah. resentful. And and the reason that we say the illusion of control is because there's there's a lot of times in a lot of situations and it was way worse for me uh in my addiction and in early sobriety that uh we really believe that we can control mm-hmm. this that, mm-hmm. that there's a solid belief in the control ability of people places and things right and and in sobriety and in turning our lives around we kind of start to dial in what we really do have control over and right. what we really don't have control over mm-hmm. and so you know, kind of discussing that, I think is going to be interesting, and it, it it helps me. 
helps me to remember yeah. this stuff. So yeah, I agree. It helps me too, and I it's it's good for me to sit here and talk about this kind of stuff in depth and in detail, and and really kind of hash out like what what exactly that means because for me, I didn't know what I I didn't know just how. Uh, powerless I was mm-hmm. um, not only over alcohol and drugs but over so many more <laughs> things right yeah um, really it was like kind of getting to that place with drugs and alcohol where I could like the evidence was in front of me there was no denying it anymore like it was just very very clear that I had a problem that once I have one drink um, it kick starts the obsession and it, I'm off to the races mm-hmm. or once I have one pill, um, once I have one, anything, right. Um, it just kick starts the obsession and I'm off to the races. So once I saw that there and I could see how powerless I was over that, um, it began to be something, it sort of cracked the shell and, and I was able to sort of see like, okay, well, what, what else am I just truly powerless over? Yeah, and uh, and and I began to look at things a little bit differently. Now, is that is that is that something that you came up with on your own, or is it something that you were like going through life? Let's say you were trying to control the the opinions of another person, or the this the work you had to do in aftercare, or something mm-hmm. like that. Is that that like it was it something that you figured out or was it something that was pointed out to you oh i i had to be dragged along the way the whole time <laughs> like i mean i had to have other people who had been there pointed out to me because i didn't i i didn't know i yeah. i had obviously lived a certain lifestyle for a long time with this idea that i did have control and any time that i was faced with a circumstance where things seemed like they weren't going to go the way I wanted them to, I became bit bitter and angry yeah. and, and hateful. And, and that was a surefire way for me to justify a drink. Yeah. We, we compressed, we compressed, we put more pressure on the issue, oh, trying, sh- trying even harder to control the situation. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Like if I get angry enough at it, that's a great one, right? Like, I'm sure it will change. Yeah. And I think that keeps coming up for me because I remember specifically, and this was like right at the height of like all the, the drinking, right? I was in this really, really toxic relationship. And I remember like, I just used to ask her, like there were, there were moments with her where clearly something was bothering her. And I would say like, what, what's going on with you? And she would say nothing. And I would lose my shit. Yeah bullshit bullshit there's nothing like obviously so just talk to me <laughs> talk to me talk to me now you know what i mean and just yeah. really like just you know like losing my shit because i cannot make this person do something that i want them to yeah. do and and uh and yeah i mean that was the stuff like that is just one example of many 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 examples of of how unmanageable my life was at that time. Yeah. And there was so many more things that, um, that I was powerless over that I had no control over, um, than just that one thing that was, I I mean, there was so many things, right? The work I do, that's another really, really good example. Like 
the fact that I had to go to work each day was, was another thing that I was just like, oh, this is so, <laughs> so bad. Like, and the truth is like, I didn't have to like, yeah. And that, and, and that was something that I think I learned in recovery is like, okay, what do I have control over? Yeah. Right. And, and do I have to work this job? You know, and I was able to actually say like, no, I don't. Yeah. And, and change things. Yeah. You know, as we go through this stuff, we start to kind of learn that, that there are, there are these things physically that we're able to make decisions on. Right. And so I, I think there's a big difference between having control over something and deciding an action against something. And it takes, it takes some practice in that area because after we get sober for so many of us, the, uh, the, the obsession to use and the compulsion to drink were so great that we had lost the ambition to even try to control it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so then when we get into sobriety and the word surrender starts popping up and, and these actions start happening, there's some confusion involved with that, especially with, you know, I had this confusion over surrendering my will or, you know, like letting things happen as they should organically. And I kind of just became this sort of doormat to life. Right. And so that was another way for me to control the outcome because I was certain that, uh, I was going to come in last. And so I could make sure that I came in last. I can maintain that control by making sure that I came in last. Right. And so when I think about what pops up for me today is this, uh, food issue. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what I mean by having, uh, uh, the ability to manage decisions, what I'm talking about is certain things I put into my body have a reaction to me chemically, emotionally, and spiritually that I cannot control. Sure. Alcohol was one of those things. Right. And in the depths of alcohol addiction, once I take a drink, I literally cannot control making a, the decision to not have another drink. Mm -hmm. the, the obsession for me is more powerful than my ability to decide to not drink. Now in sobriety, right, I still get the craving to have a drink, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay? I can't control that. If I could control the, the uh, like idea of like, oh, a drink sounds good, because I don't know when the cravings are going to come. You know, certain certain fucking temperatures outside or I'm around certain people or I see these billboards and things look good. This craving comes up over me and I can't control that craving. At that point, after practice in sobriety or whatever it is you're working on, I make a decision. Now, I can't control the thought, but I do have control over the decision. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. You know, so, yeah, yeah. so now I'm learning to manage my decisions. So like with food, uh, I have to make the decision to not put certain shit into my body because I've learned that there's things that happen within me that I can't control. Mm -hmm. So if I can't control what happens over the first thought or the way that my body reacts, I have to make a decision to stay away from those things. The girl that you're talking about that you couldn't control, 
you've made a decision to stay away from people like that. So, so and I have too, right? Like, like we decide to stop putting these people in our lives that cause discontent within us in our serenity so that we don't have to try to control that so that we can make these decisions and, and, and grow in a more spiritual linear path, right? We go this direction spiritually by deciding to not have these things in our lives. But control is such a powerful thing, right? Because for whatever reason, like there's sometimes that my control turns out in my favor. And then, yeah. And then I think, well, that worked out well. You know, I I can put enough, I can put enough pressure on trying to control things like, like fucking saving money, you know, like, and then I become completely obsessed to where I'm not enjoying the money that I'm saving. I'm not enjoying the goal of, of saving it because I'm completely fixed on this. The, like I'm dialed in on this one thing to the point of obsession and yeah, I'm controlling my spending. But now I'm not controlling my serenity. I'm not mm. controlling my fucking joy. I'm not controlling, you know, I don't have grasp on any of these other things because this fucking alcoholic mind of mine goes from one extreme to the other. Either I'm going to control everything or I'm not going to control nothing. And and being able to find that broad view of, of balance, if you will, mm-hmm. it's a it's a wild fucking ride. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean. So here's the answer. Let's have it. Okay, so Cameron here with the answer. The answer is balance. Um, you know, it's funny because uh, you know, that's, that's kind of what I thought was uh, in response to what you were saying. is like, well, it really is all about balance. And I think that sometimes that's like a, a cop out to say that because I don't know if there really is such a thing as balance. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think that we, we, we have different levels of different things at different times. And, and sometimes we're able to have more of, of another and less of one depending on what's happening. In I our agree. Lives. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's funny because as you were talking about it, I'm like, it really is an illusion. It really, <laughs> it really is like, I, I don't have any control. And even in, in these situations, like any time that I am applying like that much control to something, even if it is a positive thing, I'm usually kind of miserable, like from a spiritual standpoint, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, yeah. And so for me, like it, it, it's, it's an art, it's a learned thing. It's a learned behavior, sure. like the ability to sort of let go and let God and, and, um, and turning your will over to to a a god of your own understanding for those that don't know is step three of alcoholics anonymous right Mm -hmm. made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to a um a god of our own understanding and uh and and i think that's where you're you're talking like you get hung up on a little bit right yeah we were talking before the show yeah, is, is, is turning your is turning that will over letting go completely right well and and i get <laughs> it it's a hard thing it's a hard thing to do and i i i'm the same way but evidence shows me that when i do this and and i and i am able to let certain things go and really just kind of live life on life's terms um I'm, I'm 
a much more peaceful individual. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's one of the things that I think about a lot is that, is that term live life on life's terms, like life on life's terms, because there's so many times I find myself in a situation where I'm like, this is bullshit. Like, yeah, I have to wait how long at the fucking DMV, bro. I got places to be. I got things to do. Yeah, I got to get my fucking ID and get the fuck out of here. And, and I'm like, this is just what it is. This is life, bro. Yeah. The DMV has a rep for a reason. <laughs> and to be fair, our DMV is pretty dope. Yeah. It's gotten better. Yeah. It's gotten a lot better. Yeah. But I mean, and, and that's what I mean is like, just there's, there's a lot of situations where it's like, dude, this is, this is just how it is. Mm-hmm. And like the, 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 the quicker I am to just accept it and be okay with it and stop fighting it and just sort of become one with that situation, the more likely I am to at least find something in that situation, uh, that I can be grateful for be happy for or or at least be present enough to not be bitter and angry and emotional over yeah that's and and that's the thing right cameron is fucking getting to a point where where we're able to walk through life mostly happy right Mm -hmm. and me trying to control everything does not make me happy yeah yeah, makes me fucking miserable Mm -hmm. right and and so be, that having this having this evidence that you're talking about like i remember how difficult it was to admit to my innermost self that i have a problem with drugs and alcohol that i cannot control right and and thinking that if i just got the drugs and alcohol out of my life then i would be okay right and that was my illusion of control i thought okay all i have to do is stop i don't have enough willpower or whatever to stop on my own so these people over here in recovery that are recovering, they, they seem to have the answer of how to stop. So I'm going to go listen to them and then come to find out that like, that's not the thing, right? The drugs and drugs and alcohol were a symptom of what my real problem was, which part of it was trying to control it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't happy because I was always trying to control it. Right. Right. And so when we go through this stuff and start <clears throat> dialing in, what is the, what is the term? Um, dialing in this life worth living right we get an idea of what we want our lives to look like and nowhere in that idea does misery fit in none of us look at fucking wanting to be miserable i didn't start doing drugs to be miserable Mm -hmm. i didn't quit doing drugs to be miserable Mm -hmm. any of those things and so when i'm doing stuff in sobriety that is making me miserable there's red flags and fortunately for me for you we have people around us that are able to like help us walk through that and kind of point out what that is and and ultimately for me a lot of times it boils down to the same thing that i want a different outcome than what's happening and i think somehow i can make that happen through whatever means i need to Mm -hmm. and so like being a business owner, this is this is such a great way for me to learn how little control I have over things. Because when when you work for yourself, when I work for myself, I don't know, this might not be for everybody, but when I work for myself, I have a level of responsibility, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I can't control what the economy does. Right. There's no fucking way that I can ever control 
what my industry does or how much money somebody wants to spend or what customers are going to come into my life. And these are things that I'm, I'm fairly easy. I'm fairly well adapted to accept. Okay. Because what good would it do? If there's something I can control, then control it. If there's Mm -hmm. something I can't, then don't. And then I get the customer. Now I have to start putting some level of control on how I'm going to maintain this project. (laughs) Right. 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 So now I'm in, in the responsibility thing. So, so now we have to start kind of looking at what can I control, right? I can't control the prices of lumber, but I can control whether I go get it or not. Right. Right. And so we start like bringing in this, this ability to take responsibility for the things that we have. If I budget, the budget well, if I maintain and I watch the budget well, then I have the finances to continue working on this job. Mm -hmm. That's something that I control. I can control my actions within any certain, excuse me. I can control my actions within any certain situation that I'm in. I can, my decisions based on those things, like my actions are something I've learned that I can control. Right. And, and so I don't know. Like thinking that I can control the outcome of anything is really an illusion because I've learned that I have no idea how anything's going to turn out. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's like, like I said, I, and I, and I'm glad that we prefaced this conversation today with the fact that Um, yes, this is something that we as alcoholics or addicts or people in recovery, um, or sober people deal with, um, in the, um, vein or idea a lot of times with us trying to control our drinking. Um, it, it is the most obvious way that we tried to control and then discovered we had no control, right? There, the control was an illusion, but we prefaced this conversation with saying, I think that this is stuff that everybody struggles with or, or more people than just alcoholics struggle. With. Yeah. And, and as we're talking about it now, I'm like, I actually, I, I have somebody in my life right now who just reminds me so much of what, you know, of how it used to be for me, you know, and, and just doing those actions and behaviors that, are an act of desperately trying to control something that is happening in in life, mainly another person's actions, right? Mm-hmm. And then when when not being met with those expectations as a result of exerting that control, just becoming completely bitter, resentful, <laughs> hateful, and I'm just like, why do you want to bother with that? Yeah, you know. And it's so much easier to see in those in those other people than um, within ourselves sometimes. And it, for me, is a great reminder of just what I what I give up in that instance. Like I may not be giving up control, but I am giving up serenity. I am giving up happiness. I am giving up oftentimes valuable relationships. Um, I am giving up my integrity, you know, I'm giving up 
all these values within mm-hmm. myself that I have and hold dear, um, just because something's not happening the way I fucking want it to. And for me to get to a place where I can accept that the only thing I can control is me. Right. Um, and, and that's only in part, right? Yeah, and I, absolutely. Like there's only certain things about me that I can control. Um, and there's certain things I know that if I choose to do, I will lose control. Um, and so kind of knowing that and being able to navigate life on life's terms from that viewpoint has allowed me to um, just steer free of any fucking drama and, and, and kind of wade through um, uh, certain situations without the extra baggage. Because I'm at a point in my life where I can't, I can't, I can't allow myself to go there. I can't allow myself to buy into that. I can't allow myself to be burdened with that, that nonsense because it's not long before that line of thinking will lead me back to what had worked for me in the past. Right. It will lead me back to that negative behavior where I start thinking that the, the way for me to deal with this is through a negative action. Right. Isolation. Uh, uh, yeah. Anger. Eventually a drink. All of it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it just, it just seems it, it's, it's the path. It's yeah. the evidence has showed me this is what I do. Right. Um, so, uh, so I, I'm grateful sometimes, I guess it's, it's okay sometimes to be, um, a fly on the wall in some of these situations where I can go, wow. Like, okay, uh, this is what that looks like. Right? Yeah. It's, it's like, uh, when you see somebody who relapses and then comes back, it's such a good reminder of like what it's like out there. You know, they share or they'll talk about what it was like or what happened. And, and it's just like, wow, it's, it's right there. All that stuff right there waiting for me. So, um, it's refreshing in a way. Yeah. Yeah. This is good for me. I love, I love what you talked about the cost of control. That's something that I haven't really put a whole lot of thought into, Mm -hmm. right? Like, like you can have control, but it's going to cost you this. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that, I think that's a, I think that's a great point, man, because, uh, you know, when, when it comes to this higher power stuff in, in, in fucking recovery, this fucking higher power <laughs> shit. Right. <clears throat> I, I, I oftentimes find myself on this side of the microphone trying to control the show. Like, God, man, I got to make sure that fucking I say the right thing next. And the director. Yeah. Yeah. I have to make sure that I'm able to follow up on Cameron's point and make it so that everybody that hears the show can understand it and fucking identify. Oh, you mean the actual show? And yeah. This, I thought you were talking about like life. No, no the like, like the podcast okay. that we're on right now. Right. Uh, you right. know, and, and, and like when, like, ah, there's all these, ah, I'm trying to control everything. Mm-hmm. There's, seems to always be this little subtlety of control. I was talking to my AA sponsor the other day because we had just read out of one of the, the Alcoholics Anonymous books, the uh, 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, on step three. And, and any time to this day, 
as much work as I've tried to do in the area of powers greater than myself, there's this fucking automatic tendency to resist. Always, like to this day, when you bring up in any situation, whether it's recovery, religion, spirituality, you bring up God, I fucking have resistance. Sure. And I was and I was talking to my sponsor about it because I've watched throughout my life <clears throat> when I let go my life gets better. You were talking a little bit about this. When I let go, my life gets better. When I don't get attached to the idea of an outcome, my life gets better. When I'm when I'm able to truly and this this happens in my life sometimes when I'm able to truly be willing to accept the outcome of a situation no matter the outcome, I remain serene. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like I've seen it happen in my mm-hmm. life with, with big time stuff, with, with moving into a home, right? Uh, with having children, with career changes. Like these, these are big deals in people's yeah, lives. Yeah, 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 monumental. And, and, and when I've been able to not hold on to the idea of the outcome, because that's what it is. No matter, no matter what, I'm going to have an idea of an outcome. And if I'm attached to that, mm-hmm. I will be fucking resentful when it doesn't happen. Right. And it's never happened the way it's always either been better or not happened any fucking way at all compared to what I thought. It right, would be. right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. And so I was talking to my sponsor and, and if I have that amount of evidence and I have this many people telling me that they've turned it over to a power grid that they've to, of themselves. They've fucking given it over to God. They have this relationship with the God of their own understanding. And here I am still automatically resisting it. Mm-hmm. There's only one fucking component that that can be right. It's control. Mm-hmm. I'm still trying to control the outcome. Now, now I love the analogy of having a relationship with quote unquote God and that God is this outside influence. That's a, it's a, uh, actual being with consciousness and able to fucking discuss things and make things happen as if able to cut, like I'm able to cut a piece of wood, right? Like I can actually build something. And I like to think of God like that. And I, and I like to think that no matter what this power has in store for me, in my life and how good it could be, it must run everything by me first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay? It's okay with what you do with my life there, mm-hmm. and it's okay what you put in front of me, but for any major decisions, I need you to fucking send me the plans. Yeah, I'm gonna need to see a blueprint <laughs> on that. <laughs> send me the plan, send me a rendering of what it's gonna look like when it's done, and if I approve, then we'll move forward with that decision. And in no way, shape, or form, is that me surrendering or turning it over? That's me in every way, shape, and form trying to control what I have in store for my life, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so it's something that I'm working on now. Uh, it's, and again, here we are talking about this. I didn't plan on us talking about this. Right. I didn't plan right. on uh, having this discussion. But here it is, again, exactly what I need when I need it to work better towards what I really want in life, which is a life of joy. 
not necessarily free from problems, mm-hmm. but the ability mm-hmm. to deal with them. Right. Well, because thinking that there is a, a life without problems would be to set myself up for <laughs> a false outcome. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and when I think about what exactly life looks like for me today, um, I'm able to see that when I remove certain elements from my life, my life tends to go a certain way. And one of those is, uh, this idea or notion that, um, that I can control certain aspects. And when I remove that, it just seems like things go the way that they need to go. And, and I've always thought, I want to say that it's a cop out, but I'm able to see what saying something like when something doesn't work out the way that you want it to, depending on my spiritual condition, um, there's two ways I can go with that. Right. One is like, God's got it. Like whatever is supposed to happen will happen. Right. And the other is like, Oh fuck that. Like why, (laughs) why isn't this hat? Like why isn't it going the way that I want it to go? You know? And what I have learned by now at this stage of the game is that the fuck that, why, why isn't it happening this way? does not lead me anywhere productive. Yeah. Right. Like there's nothing that comes as a result of that. It doesn't spur any action. It doesn't lead me to make the right phone calls. It doesn't lead me anywhere positive that will ever get me what it is I'm truly after. But if I'm able to say God's got it and everything will happen the way that it's supposed to happen. I usually will will encounter whatever does come my way and yeah. go, wow, this is, look at that. Yeah. You know? All of a sudden there's an answer. Yeah, and just accept Fuck. it for what it is and just really feel like, okay. Yeah. Cool. I guess that's how it was supposed to be. <laughs> but it all is directly <laughs> contingent on where I'm at spiritually. Yeah. Because for sure there's some times where it's like, fuck, like, fuck that. Like, yeah, God's got it. Whatever. (laughs) God's got my balls. (laughs) Right. (laughs) How come? Why me? Why, why, why? Pour me, pour me, pour me a drink. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, it's, it's been really, really good for me to talk about, too, because I think sometimes, like, sometimes I don't know that I'm doing it. Sure. You know, like sometimes I don't, I don't know how much I'm really trying to control things because, because here's what I found fascinating about what you said is when you were talking about your business, right. And you were talking about running your business. Um, you're like, well, I can control like going to get the lumber. And it's like, well, yeah, you gotta go get the fucking lumber. Like, yeah, that's a part of the job. I said, well, that's where it becomes tricky is like, what is what has to happen because this is the responsibility that I've accepted and what is out of my control. Like it really can be like complicated in certain instances. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if I'm doing this because it's what I actually just need to do to do my day to day and to, to uh, work as an employee and a husband and a, and a man and a father, or 
is this something I'm doing, hoping for a very specific outcome that, uh, that is beyond my control, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think that sometimes breaking it down like that is exactly what I need to do because sometimes I'm just unaware that it's even happening, which is why it's good to fucking talk about. Right. So we can, so we can practice. Yeah. The decision making based on the options in front of us and letting go of the outcome. Right? Like, fuck. Mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. Because we were talking before the show, too, and ego came up. Ego. Right? And here's the thing is I, most of my, a lot of my egos in this room with us right now. Most of it is outside waiting for because I got to I got to pull it around on a fucking flatbed trailer. Remember that guy? <laughs> Remember that guy? He died, but he used to talk about that. I have to pull my ego around on a flatbed trailer. That's Steve. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, I, thought so. <laughs> I thought so. And uh, it because it, you know when my ego gets involved, it's also very tricky, mm-hmm. and it can it can give me the illusion that I've let go when I haven't. Right. And it can give me the illusion that uh, there are certain things that um, if 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 I stand back and watch fall apart, then I can step in and fucking give my control. Mm -hmm. Then I can control it. And so the ego plays a huge part in being able to control and the illusion of being able to control. Because at the end of the day, I want to feel safe. That's probably been the biggest thing for me my whole life. And I think a lot of alcoholics in sobriety that have done some work kind of come around to the term that, you know, I want to feel safe. I want to feel loved. I want contentment and I want to be happy. And the ego steps in and says, in order for that to happen, you have to do these certain things. And if you don't do these certain things and, and it's up to each individual what those certain fucking things are, sure, because I don't sure. know, I don't know what's going to make somebody else happy, but I have to do these certain things. And if I don't do these certain things, then I won't be happy. And so I start going through and, and like we've said, some of these things are virtuous. Some of these things are, are, you know, important and healthy and stuff like that. Being attached to the outcome has ultimately been the biggest point of resentment that I've ever had in my life. Mm. Um, being attached to the outcome of certain things is always my point of, uh, of control. And it all directly relates back to my ego of trying to tell me what is going to make me happy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and so, what's going to make me feel better and what's going to make me, me yeah. Validated as an me. individual. Right me mm-hmm. me me in order for me to have what i want you have to be what i want mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's no way to fucking live man well it's not reality <laughs> it's not reality and 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 it's not life on life's terms yeah that's just not how it works yeah and <laughs> I wish it did. Like, <laughs> I wish I was Bruce Almighty, you know, and like, do you though? I like, mean, I guess it'd be pretty boring. Uh, fuck. After a while. We're fuckheads, man. Yeah. Like, like, ah, uh, 
uh, you know, in, in the realm of Zen with, with Alan Watts, and I think about this all the time, he, uh, he, he tells a story about, imagine you could dream any dream that you wanted, and within that dream, you could do anything that you wanted. You know, you could be anything that you wanted. And so for 90 or 100 years, I don't, you know, however long, you would have all these adventures, you know, you would, you would be the rich guy, you'd be the sexy guy, you'd be able to fly, you'd be able to control everything within your dreams. And eventually you would get to a point where you would say, you know, tonight I want to have an adventure. Tonight I want to have a dream where I don't know what the outcome's going to be. And, and eventually you would end up right back where you're at now. Interesting. <laughs> That's interesting. You'd end up right where you are now, where you don't know what decisions you're going to have to mm-hmm. make. You don't know what mm-hmm. problems you're going to have. You don't know what direction you're going to go. And you live moment by moment throughout your life with this, uh, with, without knowing any part of any future, you know, and, and that's where, I don't know, that's, I don't know what the point of that is, but it makes sense to me. Like, no, it's yeah. all sort of in the same vein of just like letting go. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'll just quote another famous philosopher here, George Carlin. <laughs> By far, probably one of the best. Right. Who said. And seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, who, who, who said no one knows what's next, but everybody does it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but I think that's a great segue into uh, our war story today. Okay. So we got homeboy, Matt. Matt. Who, uh, who showed up to deliver a hell of a story. Yes. You guys will hear um, that he is appropriately a podcast host. He's got a great voice. Yeah. Great delivery. And his story uh, inspired this topic because he had his own journey with the illusion of control. Yeah. Um, and so I'm really excited for you guys to hear it. Uh, Matt, we, we appreciate your story. What for do you sure. think, Willie? Yeah, let's do it. Let's get into it. This is Matt's War Story. This week's War Story is brought to you by Brainwash Coffee. Brainwash Coffee is damn good coffee with a damn good cause. 50% of all proceeds go back into the recovery community, which is why Brainwash Coffee is the perfect partner for us here at the other side of the world. With blends like Higher Powder and Ego Ain't Your Amigo, Brainwash Coffee has your back no matter what you're poisoning. Right now, you can get $5 off your coffee order when you use promo code OTHERSIDE at brainwashcoffeeco.com. Clean your bean with Brainwash. And without further ado, here is this week's first Hey, I'm Matt. I'm an alcoholic. I want to share a little bit about my story. I don't think it's probably much different when you hear it than your story. Pick up the things that you identify with. Don't compare to my story. I come from a very long line of alcoholics. As far as I know, I'm the only person who has found recovery. So backing up a bit, my father drank about a gallon of gallo a day. We found this out afterwards. He was physically abusive to my mother. So my mother left him. I have very few memories of him. I have memories of my parents fighting. That's it. I remember getting on the table. I must have been two or three and trying to separate them. But that's the thing that I remember about him and that he physically abused my mother. We had a house when we lived with my father. And then we moved to the second floor of a two-family home with my uncle. And we were 
destitute. I remember it being normal going up to the counter. I think it was at a Sears and getting food stamps. So we were living on food stamps. My mom didn't work. I was dirt poor. It was a great day when we had London broil, although she had her own issues with alcohol. I don't know if I want to call her an alcoholic, but I definitely want to say that there were challenges with that. I'm an only child. I don't have any siblings. And even from a young age, I thought about being alone all the time. Man, I was an isolator from a young age. My mom got me encyclopedias. And I read the encyclopedia by myself on the floor because I would sit there and isolate. And there's somebody who ended up working for me years later who was the first person I ever heard of who did the same thing. So if I had, if I could monetize the useless knowledge I have from isolating, I would be a billionaire, but there is nothing that you can learn from knowing the middle names of every president of the United States. But that's what I did as a kid. We eventually moved to a better town. We moved to a town where they had a great school system because where I was growing up, it was, it was not going to be a good experience for me going into that high school. So my mom moved us. Wealthy town, but we lived in an apartment in the poorer end of town. And again, didn't have a dad, didn't have siblings, didn't own her own home. I stuck out like a sore thumb and I was not the popular kid for that whole time. I was picked on. I was bullied. It was a rough go when we moved. Yeah, I got a better education, but it was a very rough go. Another guy came into the picture for my mom, my stepfather. He definitely had uh, a pretty bad drinking problem. So I saw the way alcohol was drunk. I have to tell you, I, there's, there's, yes, I know there's a lot of theory of alcoholism and the allergy that is hereditary. I saw the way I drank being a repeat of what the people around me did. I see a lot of you view it, you're going to do it the same way. That was definitely my story. I remember the first time in a meeting, I mentioned something like that. Somebody shook their head and they got kind of testy. And we talked about it afterwards and they're like, oh yeah, I guess you're kind of right with that. Because I had, I have some issues about the genetic component, but I have changed my views. So I went through high school. I, I found out my, my biological father was an alcoholic. I guess I'll back up a bit. I haven't seen my biological dad since Christmas Day of 1982. He skadoodled at that point. I had no concept of what a father was. He passed away a couple of years ago. And to my surprise, I had this incredible sadness. He never stopped drinking. And he seemed completely resigned to his fate. I talked to his second wife after the fact, because we had to settle up his affairs and I didn't want to drive to another state to get it. And I figured, you know, you have dealt with a lot of stuff. Just, just take whatever's there. Most of the stuff was directed towards you. You had more of a relationship. Take the stuff. There's nothing there for me. I'm not driving down to Jersey. He, I can tell that there is a feeling in some people that they don't deserve recovery. And I think he's one of those people. I could stop. I could find recovery, but I don't deserve it, damn it. So I'm not going to. I don't know if that's an excuse or guilt or all of the above. He felt that way. I sure as hell don't. I remember starting alcohol in high school, the whole let's pool our money together. Let's find a homeless guy or somebody standing outside the liquor store in the city and they'll go in and get us what they can get. And I remember early on, I, I remember the thing that made me feel good about turning 21 
is I had control over what I was going to be able to drink because I didn't know what they were going to walk out with. They're going to walk out with Jack Daniels. They're going to walk out with private stock. They're going to go walk out with crazy horse and whatever it is. If I wanted to get drunk, I was going to drink it. I should back up a little bit because I'm remembering this comes up from time to time when I tell my story that a friend of mine mentioned, I think we were like 13 or 14. He mentioned that you can get high from smelling rubber cement and you could go get it at Toys R Us and like 12, 13, 14. I heard that and thought that's a great idea. I had never gotten high at that point. But I remember that and thinking I would want to do that. I never did. For whatever reason, we never followed through. But I believe that I had a problem even before drinking. Because if your opinion is anything other than, hey, do you want to go get some rubber cement, huff it and get high and not you are fucking crazy. You have a problem. Because my view is that's a great idea. Let's go try it. Because we can get our hands on it. It's a Toys R Us. It can't possibly be a bad thing. So it took until about 16 to get my first drink it was a 40 of Budweiser and I don't really remember being drunk it was sort of like I couldn't find the feeling but after a couple times of drinking I did find the feeling and I remember in my teens thinking seeing an empty bottle of booze somewhere why would anybody drink one beer you don't get anything out of just one beer you might as well not even drink so at 16 or 17 whether I knew it or not I had a problem I had a problem as soon as I was able to connect with that drunken feeling and that continued through college and it continued through some of adulthood. I got into trouble real fast in college because I'm on my own. I can get all the alcohol I want. I pledged a fraternity and we, it was one pledge. It was, it was a pledge night. So the pledges went out and we partied and somebody made me drink a lot, but they gave me like six shots of 151. And I was in a place that I wasn't going to say no to anybody else because it was important to be a people pleaser. It was important for me to please you. And the next thing I knew, I was waking up in a hospital and I knew exactly what had happened. I didn't remember a damn thing, but I knew I had drinking too much. And I ended up having to be hauled into the dean's office and I had to call my mom and tell her this. I, this, was, this was not a good situation and I talked my way out of it. I almost failed out of school. And then my willpower kicked in and I decided I don't want to be that guy failing out of school. I saw the people around me in the academic probation meeting and I'm like, you people are not like me. I'm better than you. And ended up getting uh, three, five the rest of the way. And I was able to control my drinking to a point. I developed my rules. There were some nights you don't drink on the weekends when you don't have school, you drink. And it was the same thing at uh, when I when I went to work, I became a traffic reporter in the state that I live in, which is uh, about as unglamorous as possible. I think on the on the celebrity ladder, you're just above the circus. Didn't make much money. The hours were awful. You wake up at four in the morning. You do a split shift, and I was I'm an introvert by nature, so it can be hard for me to make friends. And a lot of it is I believe that the people around me are not going to like me. If you find out who I really am, you're not going to like me. You're not going to like what's inside the guts here. So I drank alone. And one of the reasons I drank alone is if you saw me over drink, you would call me an alcoholic. And the worst thing that anybody could possibly do is call me an alcoholic. I was not going to be like my father. As a matter of fact, 
I knew how to control my drinking so I wouldn't go over the alcoholic line. Here's what I didn't know until I found recovery. When you're thinking that way and you're thinking of, I see the line, can't go over the line, I'll control it this way. You're already over the line. Man, I used to do online tests to see if I'm an alcoholic, online test after online test after online test. And I would try every single way not to fail the test and I'd fail the test every, every time. Also found out in recovery from some of the old timers that sober people don't take those online tests. The only people who ever take an online test is somebody who already has a problem. So I think question number one should be, if you're thinking of taking this test, I think you have a problem. I didn't realize that because I had crappy thinking, but this was always in the back of my head. I had periods of time of being abstinent. So 10 months or so, and it felt like I was holding my breath or I had to pee and I'm crossing my legs so I don't pee. It's sort of like I'm waiting this out, but I didn't have a program. I didn't have something that I was doing and I was constantly complaining about being sober. I didn't like being sober. I hadn't replaced alcohol with anything else. So it was just constantly being bummed when I go to a party and see other people drink. My girlfriend at the time broke up with me and that was it for sobriety. I was off and running at that point. And that lasted until I finally got sober. So I ended up getting married. I got out of the traffic reporting business and got a real job and started making some real money. And had we, we bought a house, we had our first, we had our son. And all this time, nobody was telling me I had a problem. But I'll tell you what it was like when I went to out to dinner and had a beer or to the bar that maybe I would, I would think about, should I have a beer? Should I not have a beer? Will I be able to drive? Will I be able to stop? Okay, I'm having a beer. Can I have just one? Maybe I can have just one, but I really want two. But if I have two, I'm going to get sloppy. And there was this running dialogue in my head. I never got a DUI. I never lost a job because of alcohol, at least not directly because of alcohol. But all of those things, I wasn't homeless. I wasn't a bum. But here's what I was doing. When I did drink, I sure as hell wanted to drink a hell of a lot more alcohol, but I knew I couldn't. So I was miserable there. And I never realized why is it that I cannot drink alcohol when I'm not drinking? But as soon as I have my first drink, why is it incredibly impossible to stop? I also surrounded myself with people who drank more than me. That's a great trick to try. Drink with people who drink more than you, because then you can point your finger at them and say, you have a problem. I don't have a problem. Well, I was drinking alone because you didn't point your finger at me and say I'm an alcoholic when you're drinking alone because nobody can see it. So I hit it. Uh, I found some tricks at the end. Get boxed wine. You can just casually go up and top off your glass and you've only had one or two all night because your glass never went down. Now, I was probably drinking whole bottles at that point, but I learned we're, we're sneaky kind of people. I learned that you can just casually go over and fill up and nobody's going to notice. If you don't act sneaky and you do the act in public with sort of no shame, nobody picks up on it. And that's what I learned towards the end. I was watching a TV show called Switched at Birth. My wife likes this show. It's, on, it's one of those family shows. And one of the main characters has, was in recovery and she slipped. And she had a boyfriend, owned a bar, gave her a drink. And the look on her face was one of, this is not too smart. 
And then the alcohol passed her lips and everything on her face changed. And seeing that I saw, God damn it, I got a problem. And my problem is not just with alcohol, it's with everything. If I want to stop drinking, I got to change everything in my life. And it's the first time I thought that way. My last drink was two days after my second daughter was born. I got three kids. That was on March 21st, 2014. I have not had a drink since. Now, I had a few months when I wasn't quite sure what to do. And there were times that I thought of driving into the package store, and then I drove out thinking, ah, I don't have enough money. I had this grace period where I just wasn't drinking. And then I saw that show, and then I talked to my therapist. And I didn't want to ask my therapist, do I have a problem? Because he was going to say one of two things. Both of them were unacceptable. One, yes, I think you have a problem. Didn't want to hear that. Or two, no, you don't have a problem. You're being silly. And then I feel silly. What he said was neither of those things. He asked me some questions. And then he said, well, why don't you go to a meeting? And it never occurred to me to go to, a, go to an AA meeting. Because in my mind, an AA meeting is where a bunch of old homeless men in trench coats and probably nothing underneath sit in an unfinished basement with an incandescent light bulb spinning around where hope is lost. And I didn't want to go where hope was lost. And he said, well, let's just go. There's no commitment. Just go sit. If you identify, you identify. If not, not. First nine meetings you go to are going to be really uncomfortable. But just keep going and see what you think. So that's what I did. I had to have a conversation with my wife. I think I have a problem. She told me, I don't think you had a chance. You have so much family history, so many problems in your family, that this was going to happen. Uh, so I went to my first meeting and I went, I went in a button down shirt and I went in khakis and nice dress shoes because when I work, you dress up to go to meetings. So I was way overdressed. This was a beginner's meeting because I thought, well, there's a structure to this that maybe there's like a little desk that you sign in at and they teach you how to be a good member of Alcoholics Anonymous and walk you through and eventually graduate to the next meeting. That's not what it was. It was one of these meetings that was near a bunch of sober houses, which made it convenient to have a beginner's meeting. Total shit show. This was people who could not stay sober to save their lives, constantly relapsing. And I looked around, I'm like, damn, I cannot. I cannot relate to this at all, but they gave me my first big book and they were super kind to me. They pulled me aside. They talked to me. They, they were very welcoming. This was not a group of people that I, I at the time looked and said, I have anything in common, but they were nice to me and nobody ever is forward. Nice to me. So I went to that meeting a couple of times, but what really stuck was a men's meeting that I went to where the guy, old guy, so I went in, it was funny. That first meeting is in this very large church and I went in through the wrong exit and I had to cross through like the gymnasium where kids are playing. And then I heard people talking. So I jumped into that room, but it was a Boy Scout meeting. And I didn't know what to say of like, oh, hey, hey kids, you know where the AA meeting is? So I just kind of walked out and I followed where I heard more voices and there were people, but I wasn't sure it was an AA meeting because people were having fun. They were milling about, they were drinking coffee, they were laughing. There were a whole bunch, they, they were, they, it seemed like almost like a church meeting that they're getting ready for, but no, I found the right place. And the guy up front had something like 35, 40 years sober. And he said, he started the meeting by saying, you know, I could have a beer, I could have two beers and I didn't drink every day. But when I put alcohol in my body, I was miserable. And I'm like, ding, ding, ding. I have finally found something that I can identify with. 
And I kept going to that meeting and I would follow around people who I admired and go to those meetings. I, because I was shy, something I heard was do service work. Hey, be a greeter, make coffee. You're going to meet people that way. So I became a greeter at a meeting and met everybody within the span of a month. I got into the big thing for me in recovery has been service work. I have been an alternate GSR. I've been a regular GSR. I was the treasurer uh, for four years of my two-year term. And it's something that I've just recently given up. If you are in recovery and you're not doing service, you're doing yourself a great disservice because you're not having fun like you could. I had such meaning and purpose being the treasurer. And the only reason I gave it up is one of the people in my home group who was the group treasurer got sick and he couldn't do it anymore. So I'm like, I'm going to give up my treasurer role at the district level. I'm going to take this one because that's my higher power coming in telling me, change it up. They need you more. And I thought it would be easier. I got to tell you, being group treasurer, it's harder because it's not as organized as I had it at the district level. So I'm working on that. I have gotten to know a crew, a crew of people who keep me sober. I will say, regardless of how you got sober, recovery, AA, Instagram, whatever the hell you call it, have a group of people who are sober as well that you can say anything to. Here's the beauty of my opinion. I'm not speaking for AA. I'm not speaking for any 12-step program. This is my opinion. The thing that got me sober and keeps me sober is I found a bunch of people I can identify with in my 12-step group and can be vulnerable with. I have a group of people who could call me and tell me anything and me the same way. You have to be like that, that you can find at least one person that you can tell anything to because you've got to offload that stuff to stay sober. The thing between now being eight years sober and 10 months dry before was I've replaced the alcohol with something else. I've replaced it with whatever you want to call it, higher power, purpose, service work, all of that stuff. So alcohol is no longer the solution to my problem. That was the problem for me. Yes, I had an alcohol problem, but alcohol was the solution to my problems, the Band-Aid. Now it has been replaced and there's no room for alcohol. Here's the issue. If I stop doing what I'm doing, I could go back out tomorrow. And I'm scared as hell of that. I don't want to start drinking again. I've forgotten what a hangover looks like, but the hangover is not the thing that, that keeps me from not drinking. And there have been times where I've had stress or stuff coming up where I've had to pick up the phone. Recently, right now, I've got some issues with my house. I have some issues getting insurance money and getting a loan and dealing with a contractor. And then my dog got really sick. Uh, there are my lawnmower broke. There's a whole bunch of things that each one is not a problem, but sandwiched on top of each other, they are stressing. And this has caused lesser people to drink. I didn't. I picked up my meetings. I started doing more service work. I pick up the phone and talk to people. I talk to my wife, talk to my friends. And that is the thing that keeps me sober. I have these bad things that happen to me and alcohol doesn't enter the picture. Now, I have destructive habits at that point, but alcohol is not part of the picture. And the other thing that I look at in sobriety is lower the bar on what success is. Oh, I'm not making as much money as people I know. I haven't built the title of people I graduated college from. 
all right, but do I know what their happiness level is? My son told me about this, this girl who was bullying him, this girl who is about, I don't know, five, uh, like she's not five feet tall, but yeah, maybe she's like four feet, five feet. She's probably a quarter of his weight because he's super, super tall and she's bullying him and he's handling it the right way. And I told him, you know, all these manipulations that she has that she's doing, I want you to think about how miserable she is. This is your victory and you have no control. That's another thing about recovery is I teach people AA stuff without them knowing it's AA stuff. My people at work, my con they, they get so angry at me because they say, what can you control? What can you control in this situation? Can you control this? Let's focus on what you can control. We're not getting paid enough. Okay. Is our pay something you can control? Are there incentives you can get? Yes. Why are you not taking advantage of the incentives if you're worried about getting paid? Things like that. So I originally got into recovery for my family, but that was bullshit. I should have gotten in it for me. So I stay in it for me and I stay sober for me because I'm not going to be a good husband. I'm not going to be a good father. I'm not going to be a good member of my community. And I like the fact that I have to hold myself to a higher standard than other people. Other people who are not drunks, at least as far as I know, can go around being jackasses. I can't because if I behave like a jackass, I'll get guilty and I'll drink. And this leads to a better life. And I think about what is the purpose of what we do? Is it to touch somebody else's life and weave the fabric of the things that you should be to, to make other people's lives better? Yeah. And you can do that if you get sober and get sober the right way. I look different than, than you might look. I might be a different skin color, different sexual orientation, but when you really get into the 12 steps, it doesn't matter because you learn that no matter what you see on the outside, the insides are messed up and are, and are focused and have an allergy that stops you from drinking. That's all that matters. And it cuts through the color and the size and what people look like and act like. And we're a lot the same. And I talk to people who I never thought I would talk to and call people friends I never thought I would call friends because we have that one commonality and that one commonality is the only thing that matters. I had a podcast uh, four, three or four years ago. It was a fan show and it put a lot of, I put a lot of effort in and I, I stepped away from going to as many meetings and I realized I wasn't as happy afterwards. And I was a fan of this show that we had a falling out over. And then I had all this equipment. And it was always in the back of my mind that I wanted to do a recovery show. So I started one. I ended up getting a couple of my friends together. It's called the Sober Friends Podcast. You can find it at SoberFriendsPod.com. I'm on Instagram at SoberFriendsPod. And I just started it because like, you know what? It's COVID. We have people who can't find meetings. Let me get the word out. I'm going to tell you that in starting this podcast, I don't know if I've helped one person, but I helped me. I feel a lot better because I have these two other guys with me talking about a topic or having a guest on that I am served with another meeting during the week. I consider the time that I sit with my guys and record this show to be a meeting. So I found one way to get another meeting in. And every once in a while, somebody will reach out and say, God damn, you've helped me with this. And I'm, I'm baffled by that, that people listen to this and they find it helpful. 
And that is the biggest reward because I'll sit there and I'll obsess over downloads. And then somebody will slap me in the face and say, you're not doing it for that purpose. And then somebody will reach out and say, you're helping me. And I'm like, okay, set me straight, but I got to keep doing the right things because um, I've got a built in forgetter. So that's my story. It's been, I, I, and I, I realized early on at first I thought I was really screwed up and that's messed up. And then I realized, thank God I got screwed up and became an alcoholic because now one, I know what my problem is. And two, I know what the solution is and I can be a better person. And it gives me the excuse if nothing else to be a better person. Thanks for listening to my story, everyone. That was great. See, yeah. I, I told you his voice, <laughs> his voice is, I, I like listening to him. I could. Yeah. Let's hear it again, guys. Ready? And <laughs> no, that was great. Uh, Matt, thank you for, yeah, for thank sharing you, your story. I really, uh, I really like the way he prefaced that because he said, you know, like, listen, listen for things to identify with. Right. Um, which is a problem for all of us. When we first hear a lot of these stories is, is we're, we're looking for ways that we're not mm-hmm. like these people. Yeah. Right. Um, so when I'm able to look and hear somebody's story and, and it's likely that if you're listening to this show and listening to his story, that you're in a position where you're able to hopefully, um, be ready and willing to identify with a a lot of what he said. But, um, yeah, I sure do. I Mm -hmm. I, I identified with a lot of, uh, of, of, of what he said. And, and I think one of the biggest things that I identified with is, his uh his ability to find people that drink worse than you is <laughs> somebody you can judge yeah i needed those people sure i needed yeah. those people so that i of could course. point my finger and be like oh man you're a mess yeah i'm good over yeah. here i loved heroin addicts when all i did was meth that was yeah that was easy for me because you know? <laughs> i had judgments about you're on the it. pedestal looking yeah. down yeah and then you know, then I learned that there's no, there's no big shots. There's no little shots in the fucking drug world. Mm-hmm. We're all lost. But, you know, Matt, Matt is one of those people that, uh, it's, it's hard to admit defeat when everything in your life seems manageable, right? Sure. Uh, when you haven't been to a, had a DUI, when you haven't lost a job, when you still have your home, uh, <clears throat> and then, knowing that to talk about this issue that I've been thinking about for fucking however long mm-hmm, mm-hmm. my drinking, I need to talk to a therapist about my drinking. There's going to be judgments, right? Cause again, we're trying to control the outcome. Right, like, right, and, right. And that's what Matt was doing is like, do I, do I talk to him so that I get one of those two things that I get either, told that I am an alcoholic and there's a problem or I get told that I'm not an alcoholic and it was just me the whole time. And now I feel dumb. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. And, and so I know that one of those two things, yeah, we're so sure. Right. That's so absolute. And, and neither of those things happened, but what did happen is he went to that place where we just absolutely know all the weirdos and trench coats are going to be fucking there naked underneath stinking up the place mm-hmm. and we get there and it's absolutely not like not the that, same, you yeah. know, cause we're still trying to like, I can identify in every, every aspect of that, how much 
And and I'm probably still fucking just blind to how much I'm trying to control. Yeah. Because the the deeper I get in this lifestyle and and try to know myself, the more I learn. But in his story, at every turn, there's a little bit of control, like holding on to a little bit of control. You mm-hmm. know, not mm-hmm. you know, growing up poor, not wanting to be certain things. You know, when when. Uh, london broil was on it was a good day that's a good day at my house too yeah um but you know trying to control these outcomes based on our opinions about what these things are without any experience in them again it has always turned out differently because these got there and these aas were nice to him Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they gave him a big book and he was able to get direction in where to go and found a place where he fits and you know, sobriety started happening for him. The more he was able to let go of the illusion of control, like I, here, here's another thing that I can't control. Right, right. So I'm not gonna try. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you, you can hear his sort of journey with that when he recollects things from his past. When he's talking about how he went ten months without it, you know, like he he um, managed. To, 10 months abstinence of, of alcohol. And that was enough for him to go, okay, I don't think I have a problem. Sure. Stuff like that will, will just add to the illusion that we do have control, you know? And he's, of course he's able to say that in retrospect. Um, but at some point he had to take another drink. He had to have that lead to another, another drink Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth in order for him to get to the point where he was able to look back and say, I had no control all along. Um, and, and it really, it takes what it takes for us to get to that point. But for me, like, I'm so glad that, uh, that something happened that cracked the shell, um, and, and allowed me to look and see exactly what it is that I, I can do and, and what it is that I cannot do. Um, because something had to give. Yeah. Right. Um, and in a way, and it, and it sounds like Matt's, um, very, uh, much in line with this way of thinking in a way, I'm very grateful that drugs and alcohol came around so that I could figure that out. Yeah. You know, um, because I, 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 I wasn't living the life that, uh, that was benefiting anybody, especially myself. Yeah. You know, I was miserable. Yeah. Um, and, and today that's not the case. Yeah. I drink and I'm miserable. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I can identify with that. Matt, thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Thank Um, you so much. It's a good show. Good. You know, we're just so lucky to, to, to meet and interact with all these people who, who will bring us, uh, their stories and, 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 you know, invite us into, these conversations yeah because uh, i need them i, need, I do too and that was another thing you know you guys heard talk, matt talk about his uh podcast um sober friends podcast he's on instagram at uh sober friends pod uh definitely check him out um we're hoping to do that show uh with him pretty quickly um but but you see one of the biggest things he said about doing that show even is that it, it helps him yeah right um, and even if that's all it does, that's okay. Um, and that's kind of where it's at. It's like, 
I need to have these conversations. I need to get here with you, yeah. Jordan and Rylan, and I need I need this experience for for myself. And so I'm glad that there are people listening today that that get something out of what it is that Very. we're doing here. Um, but even if that weren't the case, uh, look at what it's doing for me. Yeah, you and know? you need it. And I, just me, <laughs> just me. Need you need it. all the help you can get. That's right. Uh, but with that, man, let's yeah. wrap it out. That is another one in the bank episode. And so glad you guys were here yeah, for thank it. You for listening. Have a great rest of the day. And remember, you are worth the work. We'll see you on the other side. The Other Side of Hell is a do-it-yourself podcast. For more information, recovery resources, and contact info, check out our website at theothersideofhellpodcast.com. You can help us spread our message by liking and subscribing, giving us a follow, or a five-star rating.